Hello, beautiful people. How is everyone this morning? Good. Get to uh, jump into week three of our sermon series, The Things Jesus Never Said. Um, today, I want to jump into a statement that Jesus never said. He never said, I am a way, a truth, a life. And sometimes we live this out that he didn't say the, that he said a way. But before we get into that, I do want to put a picture up of what Isaac was praying for. There's a team in the Dominican Republic right now. And um, this last week, they did three days of a VBS. They did a youth outreach last night. Uh, They're in Santo Domingo today in a a bigger city today. And um, they had over 300 kids show up for VBS, many of them giving their hearts to Christ. And so it's just powerful. So I wanted to give you a little taste of what's going on there. They are working. It is hot. It is, you know, humid. Anybody like that weather? Bless you. Yes, I know it's good for your skin, but whoa, when you're not used to it, you go from this dry California weather and you, you know, put yourself over there and it is, you know, but God's doing great things. So that's the, that's the good news. Uh, how do you know that travel can seem very glamorous, you know? How many of you think travel is glamorous? Like, oh yeah. And then how many of you like, I know better. <laughs> you like get on a airplane, the little tin can, right? And fly somewhere. You're stuck in this little seat for hours on end where you can't move your legs because your knees hit the seat in front of you. I'm not even a tall person and my knees will hit the seat in front of me. And I'm like, what do tall people do? You know, like, I don't even know. And and then you get there and, you know, like, you don't know where the bathrooms are, you know, like, there are challenges. And we can put such a glamorous thing over traveling, but how you know, is there something about coming home, like really just getting back to your own bed, your own time zone, where you know the food, you go into Safeway and there is a whole row of cereal. I remember like we lived in Congo when we were first married for uh, six months of short-term missions and and, uh, and I get used to a different, you know, style of cooking. I barely cooked. I was 20 years old. I mean, like, not only did I have to get used to cooking, first of all, I didn't really know what I was doing. And then I had to, you know, just use what was there. And, and it was a challenge. And I was trying to make tortillas from scratch. And they tasted awful. So we used them as Frisbees off the back of our two-story deck, you know. Um, I was like, my hard work that I had used a Coke bottle to roll out because I didn't have a rolling pin or anything to roll those tortillas out and empty. Come on. Like, you know, and so then I arrived back and it had only been six months. And we go into Safeway and I'm standing there. My jaw drops in the cereal aisle going, look at all these choices. Look at all these options. It's all pre-made. I mean, my idea of cooking when I first got mar- married was a can. Like, you know, the, the days where everything was made from a soup can, you know, like <laughs> Campbell's. You put, you know, cream of chicken and everything and cream of mushroom and everything and cream of whatever and a spare, you know, whatever it was, cream of something. You put it in there. Well, when I went to Africa, there was no cream of anything. Like, I had to make it if I wanted it. So it was a challenge, but there's nothing like coming home and going home. And as I share this morning, I want to look at a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And he's saying, hey, guys, I'm about to leave you. 
I'm going somewhere that you can't come yet. And really, this is John 13. We're going to get to John 14. And it, we call it the Last Supper. It's not the last time Jesus would eat with his disciples before he's ascended. But it is the last time he'd eat with them before he is crucified. And he's talking about leaving. And Peter's like, dude, where are you going? Jesus, what, what, um, I want to go with you. And he's like, no, I'm sorry. I told, just like I told the other Jews, you cannot come with me. And he's like, I'm 110% committed, though, Jesus. He's like, actually, not yet. You're not there yet. You're about to deny me. I mean, he really speaks truth to the heart. And, and you think about these guys. You put yourself in their position. They've left businesses. They, they, they left their families behind. They put all their bet on Jesus. They put all their stake into Jesus. And here he is telling them suddenly he's not going to be with them anymore. I mean, I don't know what we're going through your thought process, but you're like, did we make a mistake? <laughs> Um, and they're dealing with true doubts. And this is where we pick up in John 14, verses 1 through 7. You can read it with me. It says, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If there, this were not so, would, have I, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you. So that you'll come home with me, is what he's saying. So that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going? No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now I want to pray over this word. Holy Spirit, right now, open our eyes to see you. Do what you do. God, invade this room, invade hearts, and take us out of the religious box we have put ourselves in, lift us from that place and reconnect us to the one who is the living God. Reconnect us to yourself. I just pray that we would fall in love all over again. Give us eye salve, as it says, like in the book of Revelation, eyes to see that we need you. Hearts that desire you that wants you above all else. In your name I pray, amen. Well, I could probably just pray the whole service, you guys, but I'm going to actually, you know, go into this word a little bit. But here we have to understand his heart. In order to really dissect this passage, to open it up, to look at it, we go, yep, I know he's the way, the truth, the life. Amen. Let's move on, Rachel. No, we have to really look at his heart. And that's why I wanted to give the context of where this passage was spoken. Because here he was not just talking to Peter. He was talking to all the disciples. And he says, one of you is about to betray me. And he had treated them with such respect, such honor, with such care, with such love that nobody knew which one in the group would be the one to portray Jesus. There's so much love in this group. They had no idea. And I'm sure they're all looking and going, is it me? Is it me? You couldn't tell by the way that Jesus treated them, which, it was, which one it was. But we know Judas 
is the one that would betray him. And he spoke to Judas in such a way, even in this, go do what you must do quickly. Even this, that the other disciples sitting around the table thought that Jesus was giving instructions for the Passover. They thought he might be giving instructions to go give something to the poor. That's the way the communication and the love is flowing through Jesus, even to the one he just acknowledged would betray him. Oh my goodness, that's some love, you guys. If you know someone's going to turn on you, wouldn't you close off a little bit? (laughs) Just human nature, right? He's filled with such compassion here. Jesus says, he's about to die. You guys, this is it. This is the last supper. He is about to go to the cross. And he's not agitated. He's not irritated. Look at what he's doing. He's focusing in on the disciples. And he's like, guys, don't let your hearts be filled with anxiety, with fear, with doubt. And he's, he's like consoling his friends. I don't know. I'm not the best consoler when I'm going to be going through a hard time. Okay, I'm the only one. Me and Buddy, I can hear him. (laughs) Buddy and I. We're not the best consolers when we're going through our own challenging, difficult time, when we're going to face this challenge. But look at Jesus' heart where he so loves the disciples. He so loves his friends. He's like, guys, I've got you. Don't worry. I mean, this is goals if you want to put goals on there. He's like, I've got you. I'm going to go. And this is really the goal of his heart. I want you to be with me always. I want you to come home with me. So I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a room. I'm going to go get your room ready. And there's a yearning and a desire in Jesus' heart to get to the Father's house and to get everyone into the Father's house. Can you see how you're a part of something so much bigger than this moment now? That's what Jesus was giving them, perspective of the greater, perspective of what's larger. Can you see the kingdom? Can you see what he's building, the spiritual house that he's putting together? One that he's telling, hey, I want you to have a perspective, one that includes your future, not just this moment, because we can get caught up in the here and now that we don't see the future. And Jesus is saying, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. Are you ready? I'm going away. He's been gone, but I'm coming back. He's like, I'm getting your room, your placement ready. I'm getting your spot ready. I want you with me forever. He's letting them know that the separation would only be temporary. Now, some of us, if we are willing to admit it, we can be directionally challenged. Someone someone gives us directions, and we have no idea two minutes from there what they told us to go or to do, right? I see some honesty, some head nods, or you're thinking of somebody right now as they drive, and you've given them directions. They have Siri. They have MapQuest. They have, you know, whatever. MapQuest is old. (laughs) They have Google. Remember the days, I was talking about that the other day, the days we printed out the directions. Remember the days, I used to highlight my map. I had a California map. I would highlight the freeway direction from Merced, where I was living in my last years of my high school, and to come up to Novato, and I'd have to like, hold it out and drive with this map, and stop regularly at gas stations to ask directions, or to look at the map that was posted of the area. 
But still, in our modern technology, some of us are still directionally challenged. We still cannot follow. She said 700 feet, and we still miss it. We turn early. It's like, this feels like 700 feet. You know, like, you get it, don't you? Thomas is directionally challenged. Jesus saying, you know the way. And he's like, excuse me? <laughs> excuse me, Jesus. Now, Thomas gets a really bad rap. And every time he kind of comes up in scripture, he's like, dude, what's wrong with you? I mean, do you ever have a friend, or maybe you are this one, that the other people want to kick under the table when you ask a question? You know? Like, what? You just contradicted Jesus. He just said, you know the way. And you're saying, no, we don't. Like, what? Seriously, though, you know, but you're the, you kind of admire them at the same time because you really have that same question in your heart, but you're not bold enough to ask it. You know, that person that actually says what everybody else is thinking in the room and is bold enough to say it. And Thomas is like, um, hold up, hold up, Jesus. Hold the conversation. I, um, no, we have no idea where you're going, what you're doing, or how this is happening. Uh, what are you talking about? You've been speaking in riddles a whole bunch. Is this another riddle that we have to solve? Like, I don't get it, Jesus. And he flat out contradicts. Jesus says, you know, and he says, oh, we don't know. We don't know. And I don't know if you're walking with the Lord, and sometimes it feels like that, where God's like, you know. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Do I know? I don't know. Okay, I, me and Anne this morning. I, I don't Sometimes I just feel like that, but we have to give, you know, maybe we need to give ourselves a little more credit that we do know what God is asking us. We do know what he's saying, and we need to grasp onto that truth and grasp onto him. Jesus didn't say to Thomas, you dum-dum. Would you just follow the direction? No, I mean, he did not, like, say, come on. I mean, the things that way that we would want to talk, maybe to Thomas. He said, Thomas, here I am. Thomas, I am your answer. I am your direction. I am the way. Thomas, the answer is me. If you would just look at me, surrender to me, you'll go in the right direction. And he sums it all up with just saying, I, I am. Here I am. There wasn't a formula. There wasn't a code of rules. There wasn't a map, map quest list to follow. He, he was like, you didn't have to go right and then turn left. And then three blocks from there, you go in a circle. And then you turn back around. And then you'll get to heaven. He didn't give directions like that. He said what? He says, you just have to have me. To have him. To know him. To love him. To obey him. This is Christianity. That's it. (laughs) To have him. That's it. No one gets to the Father. No one gets home except through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the road. I am the way. I'm not a way. I am the way, the route, the mode, the means, the journey, the highway to heaven. Now, the concept of pilgrimage was not unfamiliar in the Jews' lives. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and you've seen that Enoch walked with God. He was on a journey, on a road to travel. He literally traveled with God around this earth. He understood what it was to be in the way with God. The Israelites, the same thing. 
their path through the desert. Actually, Hebrews tells us they struggled with the way. The same word, the way, that Jesus is used to describe. It says they struggled with the way. And the deceitfulness of sin came in and squeezed out their faith, right? They, it literally came in and their hearts were hardened because they struggled with the direction that God would take them. Isaiah spoke of a highway. The prophets prophesied a highway of holiness. The ransom of the Lord would walk on it. Isaiah 35, John the Baptist, what does he do? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his path, a highway in the desert. I mean, come on, they were familiar with this language, with the way. But no one, even with all that history, no one would ever think that God himself would stoop to become the road. That he himself would become the way. He would be the way of holiness. Jesus didn't say, I am a way among many. Or deep down, I know your heart and that you're a good person. So you don't need directions. You, didn't need, you don't need to go the way. And this is, this is the truth, you guys. This lie comes, and it seeps in. It creeps in to our thinking. And, and we begin to feel bad for good people. And what about the way, you know, they don't know the way, but it's okay. They're a good person. But he said, I am the way, and there is no other way to the Father. Everyone else, everything else is a thief or a robber. And thinking you can make it into heaven because you're a good person or because you do good works is a lie. I'm, I'm going to go here. Just go here with me. I know it's uncomfortable right now. Some of you just got uncomfortable in your seat. You're like, what? Mm-mm-mm. No, she didn't. Yes. I know it's not politically correct to say. I know that. But I didn't say Jesus said it. Jesus didn't say if you take care of the environment. And you go and you help in the homeless shelter and homeward bound. If you go and you're a nice person to the people at work. If, if you just stand, so, stand next to so-and-so, look how good you look. He didn't say that. You know, and I feel like a lot of us have stepped into moral deism or social deism where we created the standards of morality and, we, and we've created the standards by social, by our society and we begin to line ourselves up next to people and we go, look, oh, well, I'm doing better than them. I'm okay, Jesus. Hello, you guys. We do this in church. Wow, well, I'm, not, I'm not off like them. Here I am, Jesus, worshiping you every week. I come to church every week and raise my hands and dance. Whoa, Jesus. Whoa. <laughs> you know, and we, we do. We line ourselves up next to each other, and we want to go into comparison and be like, well, I wasn't in prison. Look how good I am in society. I've been a really good person. And we begin to think think somehow we can get to heaven without the way. We can get to heaven with by being good. But the thing is, is we not to measure ourselves by ourselves. Our measure is to come next to Christ and go, do you measure up? This is what he's building you, according to Ephesians, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So do you measure up? So when they grab the woman caught in adultery and they throw him in the midst, he's like, hey, which one of you, which one of you has no sin? Does he even have a sin nature? Go ahead and throw a stone. Well, the smartest was the oldest at that time. He walked away. Do you measure up? And the reality is this. None of us measure up. 
This is the good news today. You don't have to go away hopeless or sad. You can go away, oh my goodness, this is good news. Let me share it with you. Romans 3.10. You guys are like, how is this going to be good news? No one is righteous. No, not even one. (laughs) How is that good news, Rachel? Why is that good? Because no one can earn salvation. It is a gift from God. So you don't have to keep trying to earn it. You don't have to keep trying to do good works. You don't have to go and pay penance. You get to receive it by faith. There is such a gap between God and us. I mean, God is over here, and and we are way over here. Such a gap because of sin. Sin separates. Death, by definition, is separation. When you die, physical death, what's happening? You're separated from your body. Separation. There's talks about another death, a second death, right? You can be separated from the Lord himself. There are levels of separation. And here we are separated. Sin has separated us from God. So far, far apart. And you know what? The thing is, is like, what? If we stand in the presence of a holy God... With sin in our lives, the results can be disastrous. Because the end of sin or the result, the payment, the wages of sin is death. But the good news, Jesus said, I'm getting you home. I've made a way. I'm going to close the chasm. I'm going to close the gap. It may seem like we could never reach. We could never touch. But I'm coming in. I'm stepping in. And here we go, right with the cross. And Jesus comes in. He's like, I'm going to grab you, Father. I'm going to grab you, children. And I'm going to bring you back together. He closed the gap. And so this is the way to the Father's home. This is the way. is through the work of the cross. This is such a message of love. He's saying, I want to be with you always and forever. Who wants to be with you for always and forever? The person you marry, they want to be with you, right? They say, hey, I want to be with you. This is what's happening. The bridegroom would go and he would do this. In this time, he would go and he'd prepare a place for his wife, for his spouse at his home. And then go back and return and grab his bride and say, come home forever. This is what Jesus is doing. He's the link. 24-hour access. I love it. There's no road closures. Yeah, no detours. No, you got to take the long route. Some of us feel like maybe we need to take the long route, but that's where the love of God just powers over. Sin abound, but what grace did so much more abound? Ooh, let it cover you today. Jesus was saying, if you want to be reconciled with a holy God, if you want to cross this chasm of sin that separates you from him, if you want to go where I'm going, you, I'm your bridge. Walk on me. The road to eternal life is narrow. The scripture is clear. And the fact is that he is it. That's why it's narrow. Now, when we think about this, you guys, you think about arriving, back to our travel analogy, when you think about arriving at the airport, when you arrive, they tell you your gate that you're to go to, right? You go to this gate, you get on this plane, and it'll take you to your destination. We don't stand there and go, oh my gosh, how rude is that? How arrogant and discriminating is that to go to that gate? No, we know we have to get on that plane if we want to arrive at that destination. (laughs) We don't say, ridiculous, I want to go to another gate. All gates should lead to where I'm going. (laughs) 
We don't do that in the natural. Why would we do that in the spiritual? And go, ridiculous, God. This is just absurd. One gate. You are the door. One gate. Lead us to the right direction. What a proclamation Jesus is saying. I am the way. No other way. Trust the way. You can trust him. There will be times that you want to turn off. There's times that you want to take a detour. It looks like a better approach, something out there that catches your eye, a little glitter here, a little glimmer there, and you want to turn your heart there. Maybe a shortcut, it seems, and, and the way of following Christ can seem challenging at times to keep with him and connected with him. But we for, quickly forget what it tells us in Proverbs, that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is death. Up front, it looks all good, but you haven't gone through the fine print yet. Know this, there may be more than one way in the natural to load a dishwasher. (laughs) I'm just saying, I mean, I'll just help you in your marriage right now. Just be happy it's done. I've learned that in 23 years. Goes both directions for us. Just be happy it's loaded. Amen. All right. There's more than one way to raise kids. There's more than one way to work out. There's more than one way to have a job. But when it comes to heaven, there is only one way, and it's Jesus. So Jesus' solution is stick with me, guys. I've got you stick with me. It's your belief that's counted up for righteousness. It's your faith in me that's counted up for righteousness. It's going to be credited to your account because you trust in me. Secondly, he said, I am the truth, not I am a truth. Okay, moving quickly because we got to get to communion this morning. I am the truth. Truth as defined here, the gracious self-disclosure of the Father. Have you seen me? You've seen the Father. I mean, more questions get asked after this. We don't even have time to go through the next question, you know. The truth is that it's the truth that will lead you into life, this way to life. This is the truth that will lead you to life. Who knows better than the Creator? Than that one that made you the truth. He did not say, I am a truth, or follow your truth. He didn't say, My word's a guideline. A book of suggestions. <laughs> now, unfortunately, I mean, I'm, I'm like that personality. I, I, like, I think I like rules that are just guidelines. Speed limit, 65, oh, you know, guideline. <laughs> no? Okay. I know some of you are so good. But we're all, I mean, good, good that you follow the rules. Okay, in that way. But Jesus, he's not saying, just apply the parts that really feel good and are meaningful to you. That you don't find difficult. Jesus said it this way, and I want to quote John 8, 31 and 32. The truth will set you free. I mean, we quote actually that part of the scripture. I'm going to break it down. I'm actually going backwards with the scripture. I'm actually starting at the bottom of the scripture. The truth will set you free. That's right. The truth will set me free. I just need the truth will set me free. But let's read the words before that. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Wait, wait, before you amen, because you haven't even got to the verse previous. Because, I mean, we quote that, right? We know and it will set us free. 
knowledge. Wait, wait, right before that. Come back, come back. Verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And conjunction, there's an and. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How do you get freedom in the truth is you start with doing what you have been told. When Jesus gives his word, he gives you truth. You abide in that truth. What is that? To dwell in. It's to get down and make your home in that place. It's saying, I'm going to my, my, make my foundation here. And in that place of abiding in truth, I am going to know, truly experience the truth, to know experiential knowledge. I'm going to know that truth and it's going to live liberate me. It's going to set me free. So we got to dwell and tarry in his word. We are all good for short seasons at things of following Christ too. We're good at short term things. We're good at short workouts. I mean, we're good, you guys, at short term missions even. We're good at carrying a passion for something for a while. A preacher gets up and preaches about kids ministry and we're like, yeah, kids ministry, I'm in it. We're there for a month and we're like, I'm out of here. We're good (laughs) for things, short term commitment, short term obedience. But when he asks us to follow him, to obey, to surrender, when it gets uncomfortable, in our lifestyle or in our relationships, it causes friction in our relationships. We have a tendency to want to pull and remove ourselves out of that truth, out of his word. And this is where you can't line up yourself to other people and what they're doing. You've got to follow what Jesus has told you for your life. Your life. There are times that the Holy Spirit has says, no, Rachel, you cannot. And I'm like, but they are. But they are, Jesus. He's like, you cannot. But they are. He's like, <laughs> he's like cut it out. You follow me. I mean, I feel like it's like a John and Peter moment, you know, in, John, in the book of John. And, you know, what's going on with that guy? Jesus is like, don't even worry about that. You follow me. Stop comparing yourself. Follow the truth. And this morning, if I would tell you, I mean, some of you are sitting there like, tell us, tell us, what did Jesus tell you to do or not do? And, you know, but then you'd want to compare yourself and see where you line up. All right. So we lie to ourselves and we tell ourselves, hey, well, if my heart is in the right place, it doesn't really matter what I do. Jesus knows my heart. And we excuse our disobedience. And, and we begin to substitute sacrifice for obedience. And we offer not what he's asking of us. And we begin to give things that he really didn't require of us. And he said, I'm asking you to obey. I'm not asking for sacrifice. And we get a Saul syndrome. And I don't have time to develop a Saul syndrome. But it's saying, hey, look, at I'm following your word. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> I hear some sheep bleeding in the background. Okay, if you know the story, look it up later. But however, we are his disciples indeed, in truth. That's the indeed. Have you ever thought, you're a disciple indeed? No, I'm just a disciple. I'm a disciple truthfully is what it's saying. In reality, if I live in his word, not read it, it doesn't say, it, not quote it, not pray it, if I live in it. If I dwell in it, oh, so good. Good job, Rachel. All right. <laughs> Just teasing. At um, Pilot Lake this summer, um, Jeff Whitcomb is sitting over here on the second row. He did camp devotion, and he talked about the need for courage. And I love that he said that we need courage to follow Christ when others are doing something else. To abide in that word. 
And I believe God wants to do that, continue to release courage in his people to follow his word. The good news is you can handle the truth. Jesus wouldn't give you the truth if you couldn't handle it. You can handle the truth. Tell somebody next to you, you can handle the truth. Come on. Might be a movie quote there. All right. Jesus taught his followers what they needed. Essentially, he's saying, go back, look carefully at what I've already told you. You've been supplied with sufficient information. And he summed it all up to Thomas, right? Christianity is more than a creed, a doctrine, a code of rules. It is Christ. Christ was more than a teacher. He is truth. Give yourself to know him. Colossians tells us in him dwells all the mysteries of wisdom and knowledge. They're hidden in Christ. So be a truth seeker. Be a lover of Christ. Thirdly, he said what? I am a life? No, I am the life. I'm, in, I'm what you're all in pursuit of. Jesus, the author, the giver of life. Natural, spiritual, eternal life. Not just a future, not just out there, but life now. John 10.10, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Superior in quality, greater than anything else. Super abundant, more than you can imagine or hope or dream of. Excessive. And it starts with receiving him. This quality of life that he's given starts with connecting with him. As the worship team comes this morning, I wanted to close by just bringing up one last thought here. When it comes to life, I talked briefly, just mentioned a Saul syndrome, but this morning I really felt like I should talk about an Esau syndrome. If you know who Esau was, and he was a hunter, and he was out, and he's got really, really, really hungry, and he's he has the firstborn inheritance right on his life. And the firstborn, they got more than everybody else in the family, you know, special. And guess what? God has made you like the firstborn in his family. Like he's going to give you a lot, a lot, not withhold anything from you. And so Esau was super hungry and he comes in and what is his thing? He's like, oh, if I don't get something to eat, who, you know, like I'm going to die. Right. And so he's like, He sells off his birthright for a bowl of porridge, like stew. Like he sells, he gives away so much for just a temporal little thing. And this is the Esau syndrome that happens that that we know the way to life. Jesus, we know who he is. And we end up trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. We exchange it. I just want the, I want the Lord to search our hearts this morning because there can be self-deception that something or even someone else is better than the life God has to offer. That this moment here, this, this season here, this is better, Jesus, than the life that you promised me. I, this is better than that, that room in the house that you're talking about, Jesus. I mean, we get so focused on here, but God wants to lift our eyes today and again to see him, to see the way, the truth, and the life. I don't want anybody to forfeit their inheritance for temporal satisfaction, for a temporal thing, for going and turning away from the one who is the way. You may get this 
80s reference and you may not, but we live in a material world. But you don't have to be a material girl. Or a boy, you can put your name there. You don't have to. You don't have to. Stick with the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray this morning. I want to challenge you as our team can stand. Actually, let's all stand to our feet this morning. And we're going to ask the team to come that's going to be serving communion. Go ahead and come on up and we'll begin to pass out the elements. But I want to challenge us this morning to see Jesus as the only way, the road to the Father, and believe and put our trust in him. That is the work that we need to do. And, and to see him as the truth, to seek him out, to love him through obeying him. The greatest expression is love. And thirdly, to see the life. Receive that supreme, superb life he has for you. So Lord, we thank you.